Welcome, Ruben. Ruben and I talked uh, just a couple days ago. Uh, he's got a unique ministry. Uh, if you're interested in his ministry, he's got kind of a service dog ministry, a way of, of uh, connecting with people uh, through service animals. I would encourage you to talk with Ruben after service and let him share some of what God is doing in his life. Well, The Rock. You know, some of those songs that the youth did this morning, they're starting to grow on me. That song, He Won't, mm, every time we sing that, every time we sing that, I, I feel closer to God. It's one of those songs where the more you sing it, the more it's connecting with me. It's probably because we're spending time in the Sermon on the Mount and we're talking about having a life built on the rock. It's good stuff. So this picture of the rock that I want to bring us back to again, that's what I want you to think of. Matthew 7, 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The words of Jesus put into practice. What is the rock? The words of Jesus put into practice. If you build your life on anything else than that, you are, you are building your life on sand. And when the storms come, your house your life will collapse. It is only upon the words of Jesus put into practice that we have a firm foundation. So last week, we started into the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus talked about the words of Jesus put into practice, these words of mine, he was literally referring to the Sermon on the Mount because that section about the rock is the closing section of the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we talked about the Beatitudes, the blessed are's. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called sons of God. And blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's an upside-down kingdom. All of the things that we think would bring us blessing in life are upside-down in Jesus' way of living. Okay. So here we go. The challenge of preaching... The challenge of preaching is to help you understand something you have heard many times and think you already fully understand. Do you feel like there is room for you to learn something from our passage today? Well, I hope you are open to God. Lord God, as we open up your word today, it's with expectation because we want to and we need to hear from you. This can't just be knowledge. It's got to be something else. Something that permeates our soul and changes us from the inside out. That only happens with you, Holy Spirit, speaking to us. So now, as we look at a passage that we've heard, many of us, many, many times. Say something new to us, Lord. Something that will help us be better followers of you. Amen. 
Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? If it, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on, on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. There it is, a passage of scripture that you've heard before. I think there's something here for us, deeper than what we maybe see by a quick reading. So I want to tell you three things today, just three things. Three things that might make you look at this idea of salt and light in maybe a different way, maybe a fuller way. So if you're the kind of person that likes to write things down, these are the three things that I'm going to try to say to you about this very short passage of Scripture in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Maybe three new things that you haven't considered before. Number one. Salt and light, this analogy of salt and light, is directly connected to the Beatitudes. It is not separate from the Beatitudes. It is connected to them. Number two, salt and light are all about changing the world around them. Salt and light are all about changing the world around them. And number three, salt and light go hand in hand with good deeds. That's the three things. I'm going to try to break those three things down for us to understand. So number one, here we go. Salt and light are directly connected to the Beatitudes. So when Jesus talked about the Beatitudes, about the blessings of living as followers of Jesus, and he talked about things that didn't make sense because they seemed to be upside down, Jesus followed those Beatitudes up directly, immediately, with the analogies that those kind of people who are blessed in that way, are characterized by being salt and light. The Beatitudes and the salt and light go together. Think about the Beatitudes now, and think about them in a way that we didn't talk about last week. I'm going to read the Beatitudes, and then I'm going to say to you what the opposite is. Okay? I didn't do that last week because I wanted to save it for today as a way of combining it with the idea of salt and light. So poor in spirit, that's the first beatitude. Poor in spirit. Do you know what the opposite of being poor in spirit is? Prideful. People that are the opposite of poor in spirit are rich in spirit. In other words, they're prideful. They don't need any. They don't need help from other Christians. They don't need any help even from God. They've got it under control. 
They're self-sufficient. The opposite of poor in spirit is prideful. Number two, mourn. The opposite of mourning is celebrating. Remember, I told you that the mourning that Jesus had in mind was more than just mourning the loss of a loved one. It's the idea of mourning the effect of sin. And of course, what's the greatest effect of sin? Death. When we mourn, we're mourning the effects of sin in this world. We're blessed when we mourn in that way. And the opposite of that is celebrating. <coughs> celebrating sin. Do you see? You celebrate the good things that sin does. Isn't sin wonderful? Makes you feel so good. That's the opposite of the kind of mourning that Jesus says you would be blessed as followers of him. You see that? You see the opposite there? Number three, meek. I told you last week that meekness, as Jesus talks about it, is strength under control. So what's the opposite of meekness? The opposite of meekness is strength not under control. Or let me put it another way. Strength that hurts or dominates others. Strength, strength used to hurt. Do you see how that's different? That's the opposite. Number four, hunger and thirst for righteousness. What's the opposite of that? The opposite of hungering and thirsting for righteousness is hungering and thirsting for satisfaction with what the world offers. You see the opposite there? Hungering and thirsting for those things that the world offers that will bring you pleasure. See? See the difference? Number five, merciful. What is the opposite of merciful? Cruel. Vindictive. Revengeful. That's the opposite. <coughs> pure in heart. What is the opposite of pure in heart? The opposite of pure in heart is having a depraved heart. A heart that is on the inside different from what God would have us to be. A heart full of sin, deprivation. Peacemakers. What's the opposite of a peacemaker? Someone who agitates, an agitator, an instigator, an arguer. That's the opposite of a peacemaker. And then persecuted. What's the opposite of a persecuted person? A person who is persecuting someone else. Now I want you to notice. The description I just gave you of people who are the opposite of the Beatitudes. You don't have to look far to see that, do you? all around us. It's everywhere. We're going to be voting on some of these people shortly. Which type of people are you going to vote for? People of the Beatitudes? Or people of the opposite? I think that's worth saying. I think that's worth considering. I hope you will perfectly consider that. So when we talk about the Beatitudes, these people that are blessed, these followers of Christ, 
Do you understand that when you think about the Beatitudes and you think about their opposites, I want you to understand a concept. This is all about citizenship. Are you a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom? Or are you a citizen of the kingdom of this world, Satan's kingdom? It's as easy as that. Where is your citizenship? You know, that discipleship band that we've been in for a while, and now many of you are joining. I don't know if you guys are doing your reading. Some of you have started, but some of you that have been in this for a while, you know that we just went through First and Second Peter. <laughs> I have been affected by my discipleship band reading in First and Second Peter. So you're going to get just a little bit of First and Second Peter right now, because... Of all of the people who are going to talk about this idea of what it means to be a disciple, Peter was quite good at it. So I want you to take a look at this idea of citizenship. As I saw, as I did my discipleship banding, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout all kinds of places. 1 Peter 1, 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers. Say it out loud. Strangers here in Reverend Fear. 1 Peter chapter 2, 11. Dear friends, I urge you as... Read those two words. In the world. Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. You are not primarily a citizen of the United States of America. Your citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. Make no mistake about that. Citizenship is about God's kingdom first and foremost. Live your life for God. And by the way, part of being a citizenship of God's kingdom is with an ever-present understanding that all of this is temporary. Again, going to Peter, this time 2 Peter chapter 3. And by the way, this, the entire chapter 3 says this repeatedly, but I just picked one section. It's a whole chapter where if you just trace the words fire and heat you will come away differently. 2 Peter chapter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10-13. through 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. You are not a citizen of here, and that's good because here is temporary. This is going up in flames. And everything that you think is so important 
Even the Minnesota Vikings <laughs> will go up in flames. And the Packers too. And your 401k account. And your house. And your deer stand. It's all gone. Live as a citizen of the world that's going to last eternally. Live like you know this is toast. I just translated 2 Peter chapter 3. It's, it's the whole chapter in like four words, right? So, the first thing that I want you to understand about salt and light are that they are directly connected to the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are about what it looks like to live as a citizen of God's kingdom. Okay? Now, let's get into the connection. Number two, salt and light are all about changing the world around them. Think about it. Jesus is not literally saying, you need to turn into a salt block. Right? That's not, he's making an analogy is what I'm saying. Okay? We're not supposed to be flashlights, people. He's making an analogy. So you've got to understand the purpose of the analogy. What is salt? What does salt do? In the way Jesus uses it, obviously salt is something positive. Right? So, what are the positive things that salt does? I, I would just offer you two things, and there are actually many, but just to keep it where we need to go here. Salt does two really important things. Salt adds flavor. And it's a preservative. So, do you understand what Jesus is saying is, people who are followers of Him, people who are citizens of God's kingdom, Disciples, followers, right? We are supposed to bring flavor and preservative to the world around us. Flavor and preservative. Christians are supposed to spice things up. Well, I'm not sure spice is the right word, but I think, I think Jesus would be okay with that. We are supposed to bring flavor. Where we go, things should taste better. Do you see that? Where we go, things should taste better. Where we go, there should be a preservative effect. That we bring life. That we help sustain life. Right? That's what salt does as a preservative. It, it keeps it good longer. So like when you're serving on something, when you're working at, at something, like you should make it better. Just by your presence. Just by your citizenship. Whatever you bring, wherever you go, your work. Wherever you work should be better because you're there. The people around you should be blessed because of your involvement in their lives. How does that happen? By living the Beatitudes. So that's salt. Now light. What does light do? Again, he's using this as an analogy. Well, light provides vision. It pushes darkness away. That's what light does. It, it makes what's hidden visible. <laughs> you understand? Jesus, I mean, he actually just comes out and says it. Don't put it under a bowl. Don't put your light under a bowl. Now, I want to use, I, I'm going to do a, this a little bit dangerous. I want to add an analogy to Jesus' analogy. 
Okay? So, um, this is dangerous, so take this with a grain of salt. I, that wasn't even in my notes, that just came to me right now. Alright, so here you go. The two analogies I want to add. Ready for this? Christians who never get outside the church are like salt in a salt shaker. I've said that one to you before. But you maybe haven't heard it before. Do you know what salt inside a salt shaker is good for? Nothing! Unless it gets out of the shaker. I think we've got a problem in the church right now, like in America where we think that the thing we need to do is just stay grouped together inside the salt shaker. Preach it. Come on. That's the... Mr. Evangelism back there. This is for you, Jack. Right? Salt inside a salt shaker, I would argue, is the worthless salt that Jesus talks about. No matter how much theology you know, no matter how eloquent of a speaker you are, if you are not using that out to flavor the world, you are useless salt. Now, light. What's the analogy? Well, Jesus says, you know, put your light and let it shine, right? Don't put it under a bowl. I mean, what, what good is light that is not shining in such a way that it pushes the darkness out? So, if our church puts all the shades down and doesn't let any light out, something's wrong. Now, it's it's good to have people come here and come to KFC and youth and stuff like that. That's, that's part of shining the light. But we also have to get outside the walls. Like, everywhere we go should be brighter because we're there. Every place our feet step should push darkness away. And how does that happen? By living the Beatitudes. By living in such a way that it's the opposite of what the world says. Do you see that? Humbleness, not pride. You see that? Meekness, not arrogance. Peace, not argumentation. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We push darkness away. And by the way we live, and by the way, the way we live happens because of who we are. Who are we? What's your identity? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. If you answer that question with anything else, I'm a welder. Right? I'm a Republican. I'm a deer hunter. You answer that question with anything else, we've got a problem. Right? Our identity is Christ Jesus. Where we go, we push darkness away. Where we go, Wherever we go is better because we're there. And we accomplish that in a way that is completely opposite than what the world thinks is the appropriate way. The world will tell us to be effective, you've got to do this, this, and this. Basically, whatever they say, do the opposite. <laughs> it's a pretty good rule of thumb. I love 1 Peter chapter 12, or chapter 2, verse 12. And by the way, I just read to you 1 Peter chapter 12, verse 11. So this is like the next verse. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We're supposed to live lives that are so full of flavor and so full of pushing darkness out that even when people get disgusted because of the way we live, because it convicts them, they got nothing to say. That, that's how we're supposed to live. 
number two. So number two is salt and light are about changing the world around them. Do you see that? Salt that doesn't change the world is worthless. It's for flavoring and preservation. Light that doesn't change the world, that doesn't push out darkness, is useless. Light is only effective when it pushes out the darkness. So now we're to number three. Salt and light go hand in hand with good deeds. Now we got to be careful in this one. If you're in the Romans class this morning, we talked about this. Um, we get really edgy as Protestant Christians when we start talking about good deeds. Can I tell you why? Just a little bit of history here. Because 500 years ago, actually 510 years ago to be precise, Martin Luther put the theses on the door, and one of those things that he put on there was, we are not saved by doing good works. Now, the medieval Catholic Church of that time was, had pretty much made the argument that to get to heaven, you've got to do good stuff. So, if you stack up enough good deeds, eventually, it's like a scale, you've got to stack up enough good deeds so that the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds. That's, that's pretty much medieval Catholic theology in a nutshell. Now, I don't think that the Catholic Church is saying that anymore, and I will say again, I believe that the Catholic Church are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Everybody got that? Okay? But in 1500, that's what they were teaching. Alright? So, as a response against what they were teaching, we made sure everybody knew you're not saved by good deeds. Martin Luther said, justification by faith. You're not saved by doing good deeds. But see, it so often happens in the church. When there's like an extreme one way, like a pendulum, a lot of times we should stop there, but it swings back the other way. Okay? I believe that right now the Protestant church, which is basically everybody who's not Roman Catholic or Orthodox, the Protestant church, which is pretty much the entire church in America that's not Catholic, has been so scared of talking about good deeds because we're scared that people will think that you're saved by good deeds. So I want to be clear. You are not saved by doing good deeds. But people who are saved do good deeds. That is biblical. And it is very biblical. And by the way, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Okay? In the same way, let your light shine before men. And this is where Protestants like to stop quoting that verse. The end of the verse says, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You cannot disconnect salt and light from doing good deeds. You cannot disconnect Christianity from good deeds. It doesn't work. Oh, by the way, can I just quote 1 Peter chapter 12, or chapter 2, verse 12 again? Look at what it says. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Your faith will be visible 
in your actions, through good deeds. If it's not, are you really shining your light? See that? We're not saved by good deeds, but salvation will bring about good deeds. And then Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This is the verse that um, we never read at the end of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus. For what purpose does that say? To do good deeds. Part of being salt and light means we make the world around us better. How does that happen? By doing good things. It's okay to say that, y'all. We're supposed to be out there doing good things. We're supposed to be out there being flavorful and pushing darkness away. That's what we do because of who we are. And who are we? Followers of Christ. And what do they look like? The exact opposite of what the world thinks is right. So, how do we sum this up? Why does Jesus use these two analogies of salt and light right after the Beatitudes? Because of the purpose of salt. It brings flavor and preservation. And because of the purpose of light, it pushes the darkness away. So let me ask you, which kingdom do you belong to? This world's kingdom? Or God's kingdom? That's the question. It's a citizenship question. Which is it for you? By the way, how can you tell? Well, citizens of God's kingdom bring flavor and light wherever they go. That's how you can tell. So how are you doing that? Again, I'm going to ask you to do something slightly uncomfortable. Would you talk with the person next to you? In the past week, how have you brought flavor and light to those around you? Go ahead. Deer hunters, um, talk to the deer, which you're probably not seeing. <laughs>
There's a passage of scripture I'm going to read next, and then we're going to just conclude here. This passage, I've used this passage uh, in a couple of funerals, and I know it has great meaning for some of you in this room. I hope it will have great meaning to all of us. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12 says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. I'm not talking about getting in people's faces and blinding them with light. I'm not talking about making food so salty that it's inedible, okay? Without hopefully not pushing the analogy too far. But there's something about us just being us in this world. You understand? There's just something about Christians just being Christians as we do our daily life. As we live out the Beatitudes, it brings flavor and it pushes out darkness. I think the church today has become a little bit like an ingrown toning. Ingrown toenails are growing in the wrong spot and they're cutting into what they're not supposed to be cutting into. Christians that are stuck in the salt shaker. Christians that are a lamp that's underneath the bowl. That is like an ingrown toenail. We're supposed to be out there. And you already are out there. What I'm talking about is being out there, living your life every day, the normal stuff you do, except you bring the flavor of Christ and light that dispels darkness. And that happens by living the Beatitudes. Does your presence at work make life better or worse for your coworkers? Students, does your presence in school affect the people around you in a positive way. Do you bring flavor? Do you bring light that dispels darkness? Salt and light are what we become when we live as God's citizens in this world. A world that is not our home. A world where we are strangers because we awake for our true home, where we are truly citizens. I simply want to end today. I'm going to read, and we're done. I'm going to read the Beatitudes and Salt and Light together. Matthew 5, 3 through 16. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Let's be citizens of God's kingdom in this world. Thank you, God, for these incredible words. Words that we've heard many times before, and yet have we really made them a part of who we are in such a way that even our very daily lives brings flavor and pushes darkness away? That the lives of everyone we come in contact with is different and better because simply of coming in contact with us. Every day, every hour, every minute. Every second, may we be salt and light, living out your kingdom. In Jesus' name.